John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This last week, uh, listening and following in some of the corona news, I found it interesting that they were interviewing the experts in the medical field on this virus and trying to project how severe the virus is going to hit and what the complications that we're going to run into. And there are a lot of very intelligent people and and doing their best. But I found it interesting as I listened that one of the things that was said was that we need to be preparing ourselves for what could be the case. And the way they described what could be the case is they said this could cause tens of thousands of deaths, up to 100,000, maybe 200,000 Deaths, And I just found myself in dealing with those numbers because in the numbers themselves there's such a huge gap. These are important numbers because they deal with people's lives. And so, but there's such a broad spectrum of numbers that I came away thinking, wow, even our experts don't really have a handle on what's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. And so to me it just seemed like there's a lot of confusion there, even amongst the people that are supposed to be in the know, and they're doing their best to be in the know. Well, I find the same thing within the Christian community in dealing with this, is I, I find uh, 
throughout the week, I also run into or hear about people and different statements that are made and questions that are asked, and, and there's some confusion among Christians as well. Some of the statements I heard this week is some people asked, they said, you know what, I don't know what, I don't know what to pray. Uh, how, do, how do I pray for this? Is this uh, something that God is doing and it's, and it's for a purpose? Should we be praying for relief? Should we be praying? And I think, yeah, we should be praying for relief. And God, of course, is going to accomplish His purposes and His will, but, but we need to be praying. But we're confused about how to pray and what to pray. And I've heard several times people saying, well, is this the end times? Are we entering the end times? And, and uh, the fact of the matter is, I don't know. You know, as we look around the world and see some of the things that are happening, a, a pandemic definitely fits in with some of the things that Jesus would talk about as being birth pains that would be kind of at the beginning, that, but as the end times were getting here, would be escalating. There's this week we had uh, earthquakes out, out west a little ways. We had tornadoes down south, but not that those things aren't somewhat typical uh, for this time of year when you think of the tornadoes anyway. But so anyway, there's some natural disasters. There's this pandemic, and, and so a lot of times people jump toward the end times things, and, and it could be possible. Jesus told us we don't know when that's coming. Uh, so we see some of the things that look like they might be leading toward those things, but at the same time, we recognize that when we start to experience world wars, people jump to the same conclusion. Another statement that I heard is that we, we all need to be getting right with God, and that one I, I totally agree with that. But here's the deal. If this is the end times, then obviously everybody needs to get right with God. If this is not the end times, I would say you still need to be right with God. If you're going to die from the coronavirus, you need to be right with God. If you're not going to die from the coronavirus, but through some other means, you still need to be right with God. So no matter what's going on, and that's kind of the point that Jesus made often with his disciples as they often came and asked him about when he's going to come and when those end events are going to take place and when he's going to set up his kingdom. He often just pointed them toward the, you don't know that and you're not going to know that. But what do you need to do right now? You need to be right with God and you need to be about God's business. And so we all need to be right with God, whether we're going to die in this coronavirus or whether we're going to make it through it, uh, whether, we're, whether this is the end times or it's not the end times, we all need to be right with God. And the only way to be right with God is through an encounter with Jesus Christ, is by putting your faith and your trust in Him. And that's kind of why we're walking through some of these encounters with Christ in the New Testament. Last week we dealt with Nicodemus and his encounter with Christ. This week we're dealing with this Samaritan woman that Jesus uh, meets up with out at the well. And, and these are two very different scenarios. Nicodemus was a very highly educated person. She's an uneducated person. Nicodemus was a very righteous person, a moral person. She's an immoral person, having had lots of different relationships. And Nicodemus was highly respected. She would be very disrespected, in fact, kind of shunned within the community because of her past. And we see that also that just in the fact that she's the only one at the well. She's going to the well at a time when other, other people aren't going there, probably because she didn't want the, the ridicule or to experience that shunning firsthand. And so there's some huge differences between Nicodemus and this woman from Samaria, but at the same time, they have the same need. Nicodemus was pointed to Christ. He needed Christ. This woman is drawn to Christ. She needs Christ. And that's what we're looking at here this, this morning, is encountering Christ. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're highly educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter if you've strived to live a good life or you haven't lived a good life. 
In fact, all of us have fallen short and haven't lived a good life when you measure it by God's standards. It doesn't matter whether you're young or whether you're old. We all need to encounter Christ. We all need to put our faith in Him to experience Him within our lives. And that's what I see happening within this passage. Well, as we look at it, the first thing we want to deal with is the characteristics, a couple different characteristics of what it means to have a Jesus encounter. And so the characteristics of having a Jesus encounter are, first of all, that Jesus encounters are intentional. They're intentional. Now, I don't mean that it was necessarily intended by you. Uh, You might have been just going about your business even this morning. If this is going to be your Jesus encounter, you might be just going about your business, thumbing through Facebook or whatever, and come across this, driving down the road, listening to this in your car, come across this. But you know what? Somebody else intended it. And that's what we see going on in this woman's life. The Bible picks up with Jesus. He's in some friction with the religious leaders uh, down in Judea. And so he decides that he's going to head north. I'm going to go back up to Galilee. Well, if you look on a map, it shows that you have Judea down south and then Samaria right above that and then Galilee above that. And so when we look at a map, we think, well, it's obvious that you have to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. But for the Jewish people, it was not that obvious. And when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria to get up to Galilee, it's, it's really more of a statement of his determination than it is of geography. And the reason for that is... Jewish people would avoid Samaria. In fact, most Jewish people would not go through Samaria to get to Galilee. They would go over to the east and up and around Samaria to get to Galilee. It's a longer trip, but at least then they didn't come across the Samaritans. You see, the Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. The Jewish people were still, what would you call it, purebred (laughs) Jewish people. There was no Gentile mix into them, and so they were still the the pure Jewish people. But the Samaritan people were a mixed bag. They were uh, Jewish people mixed in with Gentile people, and some of the Jews and Gentiles intermarried, so they were kind of more of a mixed populace there. And so the Jewish people really looked down upon them. In fact, they referred to the Samaritans as dogs. They would consider themselves, if you came in contact with Samaritans, and especially a Samaritan woman, they would consider themselves as unclean. In fact, a a rabbinic law back in A.D. 66 stated that Samaritan women were considered to always be on their cycle. Well, if if you look back in the Old Testament, when a woman was on her cycle, she was ceremonially unclean for a time. And so they considered that a Samaritan woman would be perpetually unclean. So for a rabbi to come to a well, he would never take a drink of water out of a pitcher of a Samaritan woman. And so there's, there's these cultural hurdles that would have to be jumped over. The woman recognized herself. She said, you, why are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. You don't have anything to do with us. You won't have anything to do with us. So why would you ask me for a drink? When the disciples get there, they're astounded not that that she was Samaritan so much as that she's a woman. Because men wouldn't talk to women that weren't their wives so much. And and, uh, so there's boundaries between Jews and Samaritans, between men and women. But you know what? Jesus intentionally broke through all of those boundaries for the purpose of saving this one woman. When all the other Jews would go around Samaria to the east... Jesus will go right through because he's got an appointment. She doesn't know about the appointment, but he's got an appointment with her at Jacob's well. And so Jesus is intentionally reaching out to this woman. He's intentionally going through Samaria just to come into contact with her. 
For you know what? As Jesus is calling out to you, as he calls out to me, he is doing it intentionally. We might stumble across the truths of God's Word. We might stumble across uh, even this message uh, accidentally or it seems, but Jesus has done it intentionally. He's trying to get your attention. In fact, that's what some of the conversations that I've had this week have dealt with is when you look at this coronavirus and things, what is God doing with it? Is it part of the end times? Is it not part of the end times? It may or may not be part of the end times. I don't know that. But I do know that throughout the history of the Bible, we see God using things like this to get people's attention. And it seems to be working. People are talking. People are paying more attention to this kind of thing than they were three weeks ago or a month ago. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's getting the attention of this Samaritan woman. He is intentionally seeking her out. He intentionally seeks us out as well. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, the Bible tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus' encounters are intentional. But also, Jesus' encounters are satisfying. The analogy that Jesus uses with her here, which was very natural for where they're at, they were at Jacob's well, and he says, will you give me a drink? She says, well, why would you ask me for a drink? You don't have anything to do with us. And Jesus says, if you would have known who asked you. So he kind of turns the tables, gets her, brings some thought-provoking statements into this. He says, if you would have known who it was who asked you, you would have asked me for water. And I would give it to you. And she says, you don't have anything to draw with. The well is deep. And she's right. Archaeologists tell us today that that well is probably one of the deepest in all of the land of Palestine. He says, the well is deep. You don't have anything to draw with. Where are, you, where are you getting this water? But obviously, Jesus is talking about a different kind of water. He's not talking about physical water, just like he didn't talk about physical water so much with, Neum, with uh, Nicodemus. But he talked about the spirit and a spiritual birth. He's doing the same thing with her. He's taking something physical and he's bringing it into the spiritual. And so he says, you would have asked me for, and I would have given you this living water. I would give you this, this well of water welling up within you to eternal life. He pointed out to her, he says, that water that you drink, you drink this, you're going to get thirsty again. It's satisfying for a very short amount of time. And the satisfaction goes away. You need to come back and drink again. He says, if you'd ask me, he says, you, I would give you the living water and you would never thirst again. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean that she's not going to get thirsty and have to keep coming to this well to keep drinking physical water. But spiritually, she needs to be satisfied. And you know that's exactly the problem that she's struggling with? Stop and think about it with me for a minute here as we look at her life and what we know about it. Jesus is going to go on and talk to her about her husbands. He's going to say, have your husband come. And she's going to say, I don't have a husband. Didn't mean she didn't have a man. She had a man, but not a husband. Jesus says, you've plowed through five husbands. And the one you're with right now isn't your husband. What, What has she been doing? She's been looking for satisfaction in man after man after man after man. Just like she's coming to this well because I'm thirsty, satisfy that, you've got to come back again, got to come back again, got to come back again. And she's missing the point that the satisfaction that she truly needs is in Jesus Christ. And that's what he's trying to give her. The people of Israel had a history of having this problem. Not so much with the more than one wife, though there were some that had it, obviously, but with not recognizing the satisfaction from God. 
In Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, God would tell the people, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So you see, God says there's, there's two things. There's two evils. This is the core of all my people's problems, these two evils. They've, they've forsaken me. And, and notice how he describes himself, the fountain of living water. A fountain. And this is a place where there's so much water that the water's just bursting up into the air. So much water there to be satisfied with. But God says, no, my people don't want that. you got this fresh, moving, clean, pure, wonderful supply of water. It's found in God. My people have forsaken that. And instead, what do they have? Not a fountain, a cistern. Now, a cistern is what? It's a, it's a tank. Where you're going to put your water and you're going to hold water there until you need it, until you use it. It's, it's not like dr- drinking fresh, clean water from a moving stream. I remember we used to camp in uh, Wallowa Mountains down at Wallowa Lake in northeast Oregon. And we always camped by this stream. And it uh, ran into this river that was close by. And the, the water was always so clear and crystal clear. And we'd drink right out of the stream. And, and it was so cool and refreshing. And God says, that's what I'm like. He says, but they don't want the running pure water in abundant supply. They want the cistern, the water that's going to sit there. And if it sits too long, it's going to get stagnant. And and it's not going to be like the running water is. And not only that, he says the cistern has a leak. So whereas the fountain has an overflow of supply, the cistern is always losing its supply. It's the same in our day. People haven't changed. We're still people. What do we pursue? Instead of being satisfied by the eternal life that is provided for us in Christ, instead of giving our hearts and our lives to God and being completely satisfied, we pursue other relationships. We pursue possessions. We pursue power. We pursue all kinds of different things. And what do those things do? Those relationships can break down. Those possessions rust. All the things in this world that we chase after so many times are temporal. And that's what Jesus is telling her. Look, you're trying to find satisfaction in all these men. And as the old country song says, you're looking for love in all the wrong places because the place where you're really going to find satisfaction is in Christ. Well, not only do we see characteristics of a Jesus encounter, that those encounters are both intentional on Christ's part, satisfying on our part, but we also see that there's roadblocks. There's some things that can get in the way. One of the things that can get in the way is a spiritual blindness. She's kind of locked into the physical. It takes a while in the conversation for her to come around to the point where where she recognizes that maybe this is spiritual. Right? Because Jesus says, if you'd asked me, I'd have given you the living water. Now, the fact that he says the living water seems to me right there to be the first indication. Okay, the living water, obviously, he's talking about something spiritual, not physical. But that didn't quite do it for her yet. In fact, when Jesus tells her that you will be unsatisfied with this water, you've got to keep coming back and back and back. But with mine, you'll be completely satisfied. She's still locked in on the physical because she says, give me that water so that I don't have to come here anymore. And so she's not recognizing the distinction. That's how people can be. That's how we can be. Sometimes we get so focused on the physical, we get so focused on the things of this world, on the everyday events that are in this world, that we don't recognize that there's a deeper spiritual truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, says 
The Apostle Paul says, and even if our gospel is veiled, now what he's talking about here is he just got done talking about Moses coming off the mountain, remembering back to when that had happened a long time before. And he says, if Moses came down off the mountain, he radiated the glory of God. So the people of Israel, it kind of creeped them out. So they said, would you put a veil on, cover that up? And so he did. And now the Apostle Paul ends up making the point that, you know what, with the people of Israel, even to this day when Moses is read, they, they don't see it. They don't see Christ because there's still like a veil over their heart. And that's what he's referring to. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, the Apostle Paul is trying to take the gospel and reveal it to people, but not everybody's ready to hear it. And that's what he's talking about. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, even if they're not ready to hear it, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Notice what he says there. The God of this world, talking about Satan, has blinded them. And you know, a lot of times we can get so fixated on the world around us that we live in, the physical elements of the world, that we just ignore the spiritual aspects. We read on a little bit farther in the same chapter. He's going to say, so we do not lose heart. Now now he's referring to himself. That as he spreads the gospel, even though some people are blinded to it, they don't, they don't see the spiritual aspects of it, even though they were going through persecutions for spreading the gospel, he says, we're still encouraged. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, the point that he's making is the things that we see around us, they all decay. We were just reading last night on a jug of milk. How long till the milk expires? Everything down here expires. The things that are unseen, those are the things that are eternal. Those are the things that don't expire. He took encouragement that helped him through his suffering because... He knew there was an eternal, and he was fixated on the spiritual. Now, secondly, we also see that sin is a roadblock. She says to Jesus, give me this water. I want this water. Jesus says, well, go get your husband. Well, what, what does a husband have to do with taking a drink of water? What does a husband have to do with coming to Christ, for that matter? It's not something she needs his permission for or something like that. But Jesus tells her specifically, go get your husband, because he knows about the other five. And he knows about the one that she's with now that's not her husband. You see, the point is, she couldn't have that living water because her sin was in the way. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Our sin keeps us from that eternal life that Jesus Christ was offering her. And so that's why he brings it up, because she needs to repent of that sin. That's why when John the Baptist came paving the road for Christ, he said, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus, when he began to go out and preach the kingdom of God, he said, repent, because the kingdom of God is here. And then if you follow the apostles through the the book of Acts, which is kind of the history book of the early church, You find them over and over saying, repent and be baptized, repent and believe, repent and be converted. You have to let go of your sin in order to embrace Christ. You have to let go of your previous lover in order to embrace the love God is giving to you and His Son. 
Jesus Christ. Sin can be a roadblock. But not only that, there's one other that we see within the passage here too, and that's religion. Religion can be a roadblock as well. You see, as soon as Jesus got her to this point, and she says, well, I perceive that you know maybe you're a prophet, and then he tells her that he's the Christ, which he didn't tell very many people that bluntly that he's the Christ, but he does it with this, with this woman, and it's awesome. Immediately, you know what she goes to? This mountain. You say you should worship down in Jerusalem on the mountain there. Our fathers tell us to worship on this mountain up here. Which one's right? Uh, I think it's just kind of a smoke screen. It's to kind of get Jesus going down a different trail. She feels uncomfortable, I think, at the moment, talking about her own sin and, and her need for this living water. And so she, she kind of takes a, a detour. Let's, let's, go, let's talk about something else other than my past relationships. Let's talk about something else other than my sin. And you know what? She's not alone. I've seen it over and over. I've been that person that, that kind of would like the subject changed at that moment. But you know what? Jesus doesn't let her do it. And so what happens that time is a lot of times people try to change the subject. Uh, well, who was, who was Cain's wife? Well, what do you think about, you know, and they'll have all these little maybe more controversial issues, discussions or something. Let's talk about this instead. Let's go down this. I remember talking to somebody one time and they said, well, what do you think about Mary? Do you think Mary can heal? I said, well, I never see any place where she healed while she's alive. I don't know why she would when she's dead. But anyway, anyway it's just a, a, a distraction to go down a different path. That's what she does with Jesus. The thing about the mountains, if you look back in Israel's history, the nation of Israel split in half at one point. Two tribes stayed together at the bottom, and they were called Judah. And ten tribes would become the northern tribes of Israel. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, would be the king over the two southern tribes. And Jeroboam became king over the northern tribes. But here's the deal. Jeroboam did not want the people of the northern tribes going down to Jerusalem to worship anymore. In 1 Kings chapter 12, he said, If our people keep going down and worshiping with their other countrymen down south, they will end up kind of melding back together. It will all become one country again, and then they will kill me because I'm the king of the northern country so that they can all be one country again. And so Jeroboam was afraid of that. And so what he did was he set up other high places, and he made these two golden calves. I know he should have learned from Moses' time when they made a golden calf back then, and it didn't work out too well for him, but he didn't. And he made these two golden calves, and he put them in two different places on these different high points, and he said, look, you can worship here, or you can worship here. And one of those was up there by where the woman at the well is. And so they said, we should worship up here. So that was all done to keep the people from melding back into one. Jeroboam led them into idolatry. So the woman says, well, which is it, Messiah? Is it the mountain down there or is it the mountain up here? And Jesus says, well, you Samaritans with your worship up here, you don't know what you're worshiping. You guys left the Orthodox. You left the true religion down south. You left that and you made new high places and you violated that. But then he says, salvation's from the Jews. That's, of course, because Jesus is. But the point is, she was using this argument that the Samaritans would have between the Jews back and forth, which one's right. Jesus doesn't let that become a distraction. He says, look, you guys don't know what you're worshiping. Salvation's from the Jews. But look, here's the real point, the spirit and truth. You've been living outside the truth in all of your relationships. You've been pursuing a broken cistern. You need the fountain of living water. Here I am. You see, her religion and her arguments were getting in the way of her coming to Christ. She needed 
to come to Christ. She needed that fountain of living water. We face the same obstacles today. Some of the things, you know, when Paul wrote to Timothy as a young pastor of a new church, he wrote to Timothy and he said, look, don't get caught up in the foolish arguments that are out there. A lot of these religious things that don't make a a hill of beans a difference. He needed to focus on what was true. Preach the word. That's what he needed to focus on. Bring Christ to the people. In our day, we see the same thing. The same characteristics are still in play. It's still intentional. Jesus is going to interrupt your life because he's pursuing you. He wants you to have this very satisfying living relationship, this living water with him, this eternal life. Then also, there's roadblocks in the way. There's our own blindness that has to be overcome. There's our sin that we have to be ready to let go of in order to embrace Christ. Even the arguments of religion can get in the way. Through all those obstacles, I just ask you a question. Is Jesus tugging on your heart this morning? I don't know what God's doing with all this coronavirus and everything that's happening, but I do know this. He will use this to get your attention.